mother is bleeding. At least I have a husband, you know. Does anybody here believe it? Episode 34, this is the IV episode. Like you're, like you need some hydration? It's the IV episode? Um, It is a Jessa, it is a Seawald kid. Okay. I realize that I say that means nothing to you because you're like Seawald, but yeah, Jessa. Nope, not remote. Jessa is the one you think is ginger all the time. Yeah, anyways. One of the crunchy haired girls. Oh, that doesn't (laughs) There you go. There you (laughs) go. You're like, oh, yeah, got it, got it. Yeah. They all look the same to me. Um, so, actually, so we are, no days, Tim's a hardworking boy, and um, he's on a long stretch right now. This is, this is the, this is season for Phoenix. Just because, this, this is this busy time of year, yeah. just for hospitality in general here, because mm-hmm. our weather is nice, so people vacation here. But we had what Barrett Jackson, like the auction. Yep, the auto auction. A couple auction. weeks ago, mm-hmm. we always have the like the golf tournament, like the Phoenix Open. The waste management like Phoenix coming Open. Up, like in like a day or two, it starts. I think usually Wednesdays are like the pre the pro am. Yeah, and then they'll start really hard on Thursdays. Then you know we always have spring training starting in March. So this is just like a crazy time of year until like May ish, yeah. end of May. And the last when I worked for a catering company that did all the. Food service for it, we used to call it Wampo. Wampo. I worked yep. Wampo, too. Yeah. Yep, that was um, crazy. But so then Wampo, this year's- Wampo always ends every year on Super Bowl Sunday. Yes. So I have very distinct memories of leaving the golf course at the end of our shift, watching the game on my phone because I was trying to go to my brother-in-law's house to watch it with yep. you. So, yeah. Well, and this year it's extra crazy because – and then – it's hosting super bowl Correct. so we got all the super bowl shit going on so hotels mm-hmm. are booked it's crazy fucking everywhere i haven't left yeah. my house because mm-hmm. it's not fucking worth it yeah but if you're watching the super bowl on sunday you can send a little you know wave to us because it's in glendale and yep. we live in glendale so yep. <laughs> greetings from oh, sunny sorry, glendale should, um i guess we shouldn't say we should be calling it what um the, the big, big game. game or one of the other th- there was something else on the radio i heard the other day that i was like because <laughs> it's all the things where they're trying not to say super bowl yeah so it's the big game is, is it super sunday or something yep, like that super sunday is usually <laughs> so, one so if you're watching super sunday mm-hmm. you can wave because it's here in glendale arizona where we're recording this podcast right now yeah don't come after us nfl <laughs> i'm sure they're very concerned <laughs> they're about concerned our dugger podcast <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay so um, this episode is called Duggars and Dentists, and it premiered May 26th of 2009. Okay. So this episode, it really starts off with a bang, <laughs> because the first person to speak is none other than Simple Joe. <laughs> I haven't made our bingo cards yet. Okay. Which is unfortunate, because this would have totally been... this. We You would have had to get out a bean right now if I'd had them made, because wasn't Joe one of the ones, or did you say John David? I think it was John David because they never let him say anything. Well, I don't feel like Joe ever says anything. I think he's <laughs> less than John David. I agree with that, yeah. So I was like, if we had Joe, we would have been pulling out a Pinto right now. Yeah. 
Anyway, so Simple Joe is the first to speak. And he says, it's St. Patrick's Day, so we're all wearing green. <laughs> and um, in addition to wearing green, they're having a green breakfast, mm. which apparently they started doing just the year before. Okay. So it's the second annual. Ooh. Um, they have green pancakes, green syrup, green milk, green eggs, cinnamon rolls with green icing, and uh, granola bars, which are nature's valley Mm -hmm. delicious but hurt your jaw and crumble fucking everywhere you'll be finding them around your house for weeks to come i feel like sometimes they're worse than captain crunch at like ripping the top of your mouth open they always hurt my jaw more than anything (laughs) like i was like literally after i'd have them like good god i must have a weak jaw (laughs) oh and green lemonade which threw me lemonade at (laughs) breakfast time yeah did that throw you yes i was like i don't know what I mean, I guess is this like poor people's uh is this like buy you save the difference orange juice? Mm, maybe. I'm also not a big like orange juice fan. Well, neither am I. Like just drinking a glass. Yeah, I'm I not get you a big get such fan. bad juice throat. But I'm like, I can't yeah. imagine having a cinnamon cinnamon roll and fucking lemonade for breakfast. Let me have my <laughs> scrambled eggs and lemonade. Lemonade. Juice throat is real though. Yeah. Juice throat is a uh, an affliction that affects Hundreds of thousands of Americans every day. Every day. <laughs> I always thought that, um, God, what's the name of that band? Fuck. Um, can you take me hot? Yes, Creed. I always thought, I'm like, he sounds like he just drank a bunch of juice. <laughs> Doesn't he? What's his name? Uh, anyway, Scott Stapp. Yes. I was like, did you just like down? Like, I think before every concert, he just like drinks a gallon of, you know, He's like, sun-kissed. no pulp. I got to sing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anyway, anyways, moving on. So it's funny because a cameraman asked James if he's excited about the green milk and he just has major stink face. Oh, yeah. And he's like, no. <laughs> so it's just kind of funny. I always love, we always appreciate a sassy Duggar. You know, any sassafras I'll take. I don't care who it's coming from. Yep. I will gladly take a little bit of like where I'm like, oh, you're like a kid. You're like a human in there. Oh, you're like a real person. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> So over breakfast, Michelle, she's reading the biography and history behind St. Patrick mm-hmm. while Lego plays house for about five minutes as he attempts to play the role of parent while he pours milk and scoops eggs. Mm. So Doing his job. Yeah. Then Lego says, quote, I think everyone's going to have green poops tomorrow or, or tonight, mama. Mm-hmm. And... Baby Cannon is like horrified but laughing. And she says, We won't put that on TV. Yep. And then turns and shakes her finger like she's wagging the finger <laughs> at the camera. And she says, That is not allowed on TV. So, so you're saying the they don't read uh, Everybody Poops, that book? I, I don't think. Mm. No. Everybody Poops Green. Yep. Um, so then the camera guy, Scott, apparently he had come to Lego and Michelle and told them that they really need to put blinds up in the house because the whole Mm -hmm. house really is just like the windows are totally bare. bare. Yeah. Bare and open. And, uh, because of the harsh lighting that's coming through, it's making it hard for them to film. They either get really bad shots or they're having to come through and adjust like Mm -hmm. basically every time they come into a room. There's a lot of like they're looking in a direction and when they 
pan to another direction. It's in full, super harsh light. Yeah, so. and it's like it can't the camera can't focus mm-hmm. or anything like that. So Lego says he wasn't really excited by this because you know he he thought cheap lines would quote cheapen the house, <laughs> the fucking tinker toy house. I mean that's what. <laughs> That's what TT. I mean, I start. People started call, calling it different things, like tater mm-hmm. tot But it was like Tinker Toy was like the first thing because okay. it's like, <laughs> and it's like you know you don't want to cheapen the fucking Tinker Toy house. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> Wouldn't want to do that with the, the, the decor that they have, the fucking you know uh, murals on the wall. Like you don't want to yeah. cheapen it, but they've of got course. the eagle on the wall. <laughs> that would be a tragedy. A tra- it's a tragedy. But um, it's off to a good start, though, because professional installers show up at the house, which is really good because if Lego were doing it, it would take three years. <laughs> he would make all his kids do it. <laughs> it would turn into a homeschool lesson that day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Remember, they all at the age of eight, they all get a drill. So, you know. <laughs> um, I Just a little side note. I peeped James eating Pringles, and I feel like, you know, first we noticed Pest with the Pringles mm-hmm. when he was going to Florida. Yeah. And then after we learned that that's something that they get in their, uh, what is it, their personalized gift bags. There you go. Yeah, I was trying to think what the term was. <laughs> I feel like now I'm going to be like on Pringle Watch. So I was like, there's James eating Pringles. They were cheddar. The PGB yep. alarm. Mm-hmm. Maybe we need, we need a tally for everything. <laughs> I have a tater tally. Maybe I need a Pringle. Ooh, what's an alliteration with the P? Mm, keep going. We'll think about it. Okay. So... Um, there is a part that's kind of nice to see them being kids, kind of like we talked about earlier. Yeah, agree. They have like an ongoing prank with the crew where they like clip clothespins on mm-hmm. the back of people. Yeah. And I guess they say that it started. So Jess is kind of telling mm-hmm. this story. And she says that it started during the filming of their third um, documentary when it was on Discovery. Mm-hmm. And that uh, it was like one person in the crew that always had them and like whatever. Correct. So it turned into a whole thing. And she says that it's funny because some of them don't realize it till they get like home for the yeah. day and then they find yeah. them on the back of themselves. So I'm like, oh, mm-hmm. look, it's like something I would maybe do as a kid, <laughs> you know, yeah. something kind of funny. It's also like innocently funny. One yeah. of my, like, I always think about this in April where it's like good April Fool's jokes should end with both parties laughing. Yeah, exactly. Like, that's something innocent. It shouldn't be like... Nothing destructive. I don't want you to right. fucking... Like, please, I hate that shit. Like, yeah, so... I that... can handle a clothespin on the back of me. That's good. That works. Yeah. When I was... Random side story. I used to run a crew, an overnight crew for a big catering company. And we used to make like um, to-go sandwiches and salads for them to sell at these like corporate catering places. So we had labels... That had like nutritional information. They had um, like a name of what it was. And when you buy stickers, all the stickers are in the middle. And then the outside is still sticker, but you don't use it. Oh, like a little framing, basically. Correct. Yeah. So our running joke in that crew was that we would pull that part off and we'd attach it to like the back of somebody's apron or like their shirt. So people would be walking around not realizing that we had just been adding to it. At one point, I had a very short cook that we called Pancho. And Pancho had like 
an eight foot long tail. <laughs> <In a train. laughs> because we because when we realized he wasn't paying attention, then one of us would go over there and like do it. This means nothing to you because you haven't seen her wedding yet, but he has Ginger's train uh, on the back of his coat. That's funny. Um, so we're just kind of watching them install blinds. It's not that exhilarating. No. <laughs> like it's I don't really know not. if you it's really so much like so much of the episode is watching them install blinds. I was kind of alarmed. Yeah. I'm like, this is what we're watching yeah i don't have a lot of notes for this episode because there's though, a lot of could you, I, you you'll never guess it i don't even know why i'm asking but can you guess something that did stick out to me where i was like oh look at that no no, no. okay um the amazing bubble wrap <laughs> that they were jumping on well the kids were jumping on the smaller bubble like small bubbles mm-hmm. at one point jim bob was holding an armful of like the big <laughs> fucking fat like almost quarter sized mm-hmm. bubble wrap and in my world, that is a fucking hot commodity because of like all the shipping I do. Right. And, and like I was just like, oh god, that's good. St-. I'm like, that's where you are at when you're a shipper. Um, we've I've got other uh, reseller and vintage Amber. Um, oh, that's a funny story I never told. But like Amber, she's another vintage seller that we didn't realize we followed each other. Oh, okay. <laughs> that's funny. Um, and then she realized who i was into the podcast anyways it was oh, just a fine that she sent a message and she was like holy shit i didn't realize this was you like <laughs> that's small so, world just a small world because we're like intertwined via duggar and vintage but anyways mm. so she can probably understand listening to this right now like you just see bubble wrap and you're like oh that's good bubble wrap packing material is real i got whitney a big roll of bubble uh, wrap for christmas like, he, like i'm like putting out like instagrams where i'm like anybody have air packs from amazon and yep. he brought me home like a grocery bag and i was like yes mm-hmm. yep <laughs> anyway so i was very jealous of the arm full of bubble wrap that lego was <laughs> hold on I'm like you still got that <laughs> okay so um do you have anything else about blinds before i move on no <laughs> okay. i really don't just thought i needed to ask just in case yeah. i did realize that the kids were spending a lot of time pulling them down because some of them were like pull shades oh Um, yeah yeah most of them were so they had some that were like remote mm -hmm. for the high up like circular and like tall windows yeah but most were just like tim said like pull them down and at one point one of the boys is like we've broken a thousand of the other ones like with like the Mm -hmm. cord yeah yeah (laughs) i felt like there was an inordinate amount of them pulling the kids pulling the shades down and then letting them go back up but i'm like whatever they need something to play with at one point one of the camera guys asked michelle like or maybe it's the producer during the talk it was during the talking head Mm -hmm. and they're like did you think it would be good to make your show look better and she's like i didn't even think of that but she's like what i was thinking about was like okay they probably need this to make their job easier and it makes sense but she's like i'm worried about the peanut butter and jelly handprints i'm like oh yeah i'm sure they get dirty as fuck <laughs> and she's not going to be the one that's actually cleaning it it's like true. I, what, what is that she was one about? of the few notes i made in this where i was like oh she makes it pretend like she's worried about the cleanliness you don't clean it it'll take work on her because she has to add it to the jurisdictions that's true one of the crunchy hair gang is going to be cleaning the peanut butter and jelly hands yep. off of there mm-hmm Okay, so now we've moved on to another day, and it's early in the morning. Josiah says, we usually don't get up this early. We're not early birds, and he's struggling. He is on the struggle bus. That's me every day before work. Makes me think back to, he was the one that was struggling in El El Salvador, where I was (laughs) saying he looked like he was like hungover or something. (laughs) Struggling. (laughs) So, Joy is coming out of the bathroom, and homegirl is pissed. Yep. 
the the brow is like furrowed mm-hmm. and the body language is fierce. She's very expressive. I yes. think it's funny. And she says, somebody needs to clean that bathroom. It really stinks. And Jed gives her some sass back and says, that was your job. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of funny to watch them like be siblings with each other, you right. know? And I'm just like, oh, like a moment of like. Reality. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I don't know. Some serious sassafras going back and forth, and I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. So now they're heading to the dentist, and they say they usually take like five or so kids at a time. Mm-hmm. Twice a year, so it ends up being a lot. Lego hair has to parent for the first time in a while. Yeah. He's like, I'm so exhausted. He's like, I scooped it was, eggs exactly. and later in the like, week. Yesterday, I was scooping eggs and pouring milk. Now I got to take these fucking kids <laughs> to the dentist. Yep. When does a man get a break? <laughs> when is Jana ever going to step up? Ugh, Jana. Um, so I did notice that while they're heading there, this particular vehicle that they're driving this time does not have any political stickers. But... They do have a Bible verse written across the back window. That's correct. Uh, it's like, what happened to like a simple like honk if you love Jesus? They have to have entire <laughs> entire like biblical verses. <laughs> Can we just have the bird with the olive branch in its beak? I'm looking for <laughs> uh, the Jesus fish or, you know, what if they had the little stick people, you know, mm, but they would cover yeah. their entire back window, but then they're covering the entire back window with the biblical verse. So what does it matter? <laughs> Um, they would definitely like, it'd be like the little girls in dresses because they'd be like, they'd extend the triangle because you know, it's always like a triangle. They'd have to extend the triangle because it's too short. Otherwise (laughs) the normal ones are too defrauding. (laughs) So, um, kind of like all of the blinds installation, not much to report. No. (laughs) Um, he's just Lego is again playing the role of parent and he's mm-hmm. going from room to room as the various kids are having you know whatever done correct lego does say quote modern medicine has made dental work very easy compared to the old days when you pulled teeth with a pair of pliers and there was a lot of pain thanks mm- jim bob okay <laughs> um another thing that lego said that i found worth noting was when he said quote we try to teach our children self-control no matter what situ- situation they're in, and not Oof. to overreact or just run off their emotions and scream and yell and throw a fit. I feel like he's kind of wrong in this or right in the second part because all of like some of those younger kids were having like feelings and stuff, and they didn't seem like they were like nervous about it, or they all seemed pretty much like resigned to their fate, which I agree with that, but. Uh, let's... Well, it's like, I feel like in any other situation, you're like, okay, you're trying to teach your kid, like, don't lose your absolute shit. But yeah. at the same time, but we know with them, it's so much more than that. They don't mm. let them feel their fucking feelings. So it's not just mean like, hey, let's just try to yeah. kind of rein it in a little bit. They're not yeah. allowed to have feelings. <laughs> it's what, And then you're going to talk about teaching your kids self-control. <laughs> yep. <laughs> so, yep. Buy yourself a mirror. Yep. Buy yourself a used mirror, JB. Yep. Yep. Um, Kira, one of the listeners, was cr- I cracked up because she said in her, because in our last visuals, I pointed out twice about the like times that we can tell people 
they have bought things new and she's like mm. truthers uh truth finders <laughs> of like the new and i'm like oh yeah we're like um. those sleeping bags were way too <laughs> way too they fit way too good so yep. we're the truthers of the not buying you <laughs> or like the shovels difference. that still there have the sticker no difference on them to be saved <laughs> so the episode ends with lego saying that they have dental insurance that covers about half of the costs mm-hmm. and that the dentist works with them for the rest which mm-hmm. i feel like happens a lot for them which i feel like i'll get into this at another point i feel maybe another deep dive mm-hmm. but i feel like they have this false idea of like reality reality with like costs because i feel like people around them fawn over and be like we'll work with you because you have seven million kids which wouldn't happen to the average fucking person right so it's like i feel like their idea of finances is so fucking skewed but we can yeah. talk about it another time mm-hmm but yeah, so he says that between these two things that the dental work has actually been pretty affordable for them over the years considering how many people they have in their family. Yeah. I think on the on the little pop-up video window on the bottom left it had like 5 or 6,000 dollars and I'm like, you have that many kids, like that's nothing for dental work. Well, and correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't there a point where he talked about like how like the orthodontist gives him a like a like a homey like hookup? A, like a hookup for every single kid that comes through. Probably. <laughs> like, so... Like, yeah. So, but, like, I think he's, like, lowering it with, like, each kid. So, it's, like, that mm-hmm. doesn't happen in the... That doesn't happen for the fucking rest of us. So, you think that you're just so good with money, but the rest <laughs> of us don't get the deals because the whole world isn't going, you have 18 kids, oh, we'll give you a deal. Yeah. I also feel like there's an aspect of, like, small town America... Yes. ...to it. Like, you know, you're... If you know everybody in town, you're a little bit more apt to give let things slide because you're not working for a corporation this, that says or, these are your... but also it's like the good the local good christian Correct. family yeah. yeah yeah i mean i've actually had a lot of thoughts about this but it's kind of i'm kind of formulating my head how i would mm-hmm. bring it all together but it's something i've thought about a lot yeah definitely it's not a realistic view so the final sign off brings us some wise words from michelle <laughs> quote do I do the whole thing in her voice? It's kind of If long. you think you can handle it. Pouring into these kids as much as we can financially or whatever, you know, um, there's got to be a priority here. And in his thinking and our decision. So it's, our. Yeah. I was like, that's a joke. <laughs> yeah. Right. His thinking and our decision. Oh. But isn't that funny? His thinking and our decision. Like, oh, yeah. That says it all. Oh, yeah. Like, I know it's like, oh, you're just picking apart. But I'm like, no, it literally is everything they're taught. His mm-hmm. thinking, our decision. Yeah. We came up with was we felt like we need to invest into their teeth because they need their teeth to live. <laughs> 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 I kind of lost it there at the end. I was kind of. <laughs> but um, wise words from Baby Cannon Duggar there. Yep. BCD. The notorious BCD. <laughs> yep. Uh, do you have anything else to say? No, this was very much a. F- it felt like a filler 1, episode. One thousand percent filler episode. Yeah. And I even told Whitney, I'm like, I there's episodes where I have four pages worth of notes, and I work off of a little notepad. Like Whitney uses the legal ones. I use like the half size spiral bound. His are illegal. And uh, <laughs> is that a race comment? Um, and yeah. So it's like the some of those episodes have had like four pa- four and a half pages of notes. I barely had a half. There wasn't a whole lot to this. No, one. there's not much. Yep. 
Yeah. All right. Well, we're going to take a little break and we'll see you for the deep dive. (laughs) (laughs) It's so good. So I've, (laughs) I've known Whitney for a long time and I had no idea that she knew anything about an old Flash website that was called HomestarRunner.com. HomestarRunner. <laughs> the voice. The voice is so good. So here's the Lovely thing about- Puff Marshmallow. <laughs> uh, that's good. So the thing about Homestar was it was like, they would make all these Flash videos and they were all themed and they had a bunch of characters. Um, and it was just dumb, like early internet, like Flash cartoons um but they posted things like every other day so we were i made a i make references to that all the time and i've realized that people that are even in my age kind of demographic yeah it's a little bit more like it was like a deep internet cut kind of i had one friend in high school that knew what i was talking about yeah so um i make references at work all the time nobody ever knows what i'm talking about one of the youtube channels of course for a lot of your jokes that's a fact um one of the YouTube channels I'll follow, uh, shout out Superbeard Bros, makes references to it. And I love that. Like, I'm like, oh, okay, you guys are like in my demographic. <laughs> you're my people. <laughs> yeah, you're my, exactly. But what came up because this episode was about the dentist was there was a Halloween special. And in it, you were a person where like the Flash cartoon had a picture of a, like a front door of a house. And then there was a knock. And then you would click on the door, but the door, the handle, and you would open the door, and it would be one of the characters dressed in a Halloween costume, and they would make a funny comment, and then you had a choice of three things that you could give them as your trick or treat. It was like circus peanuts, you know, it was like a like a candy apple or whatever it was. So strong bad, one of the characters shows up, fucking strong bad, <laughs> and you and you could give him an apple, and I gave him just like a plain apple. And he looks at it and goes, an apple? What are you, a hippie? Or a dentist? Or some sort of hippie dentist? (laughs) (laughs) So that was going through my head through most of this episode. It totally fits. And, you know, I feel like we say a lot of things that, like, can kind of age you in a way where you're like, okay, like, a little bit, like, I feel like this ages (laughs) you, you know? Oh, yeah. But this is a lesson that we just found this. We've been together. I don't know. What? What have we been? 14 years we've been? I don't know. Something like that. We've been together, like, 13, 14 years. Who the fuck knows at this point? But you can be this far into your relationship and still learning things about each other. Yep. So I told Winnie that story and she goes, oh, Homestar Rudder. And I'm like, I had no idea you knew anything about that. I do. So. Oh, honey. Honey. You learn new things every day, honey. I know, honey. <laughs> if you haven't picked up, we don't actually call each other honey for real. Mm-hmm. It's always, what's the word? Like, kind of facetious a little bit sarcastic yeah and so we say honey (laughs) honey i think we picked that up from our brother-in-law yep drew yeah he to my sister he goes honey so i think we picked up on that so now we're like oh honey and shout out uh shout out the drew and Bree store because they do uh cheek it's been chica recently yeah he's like chica Chica. (laughs) i love him my favorite couple yep my bestie Mm-hmm. Millie says, "Excuse me." Uh, uh, my besties. That's um, not a cat. There you go. She's joined us now, so she's here for the deep dive, Mama. Okay. All right. So now that we've thoroughly talked about Homestar Runner, <laughs> Hanay, and my sister, we can actually get into the deep dive. 
Um, so if you were hoping for a deep dive that was covering dentistry or window treatments, sorry to disappoint. Oh, man. I thought this was the blinds episode. Instead, we're going to continue the saga of Joshua Harris, author of I Kiss Dating Goodbye, deep dive last week. Mm-hmm. If you haven't listened to that one, might be worth going back <laughs> just for a little bit of context yep. at least, but it's mm-hmm. not totally necessary. Yep. Joshua volume two. But really, I I told Tim, like, in our break, I did last week's deep dive to do this deep dive. Yeah. <laughs> like, I was, this is the part that I was more interested like, in. Like, more interested in, like, looking for. I mean, his book was, like, I mean, it's worth yeah. talking about, but, like, this is, you had to yeah. set the stage, though, so. See, I just think of, like, a movie where it was, like, last last week was Joshua Harris, and this week is Joshua Harris 2 dive deeper here we are we are diving deeper on joshua harris <laughs> so picking up where we left off i kissed dating goodbye that we covered last week released january 1st 1997 that same year joshua moved from oregon to maryland and he became a pastoral intern at covenant life church where the founding um, pastor cj mahaney kind of just like took him under his wing apparently josh was even living with cj and his family like Mm. for a period of time and it was at the church that josh met a girl named shannon a relatively new convert Mm. i'm actually i just realized in mormonism i'm so used to saying like convert but in christianity isn't it just like newly saved like what is it (laughs) oh yeah yeah like what is do do they still call them converts like mormon culture is very much they're a convert Mm -hmm. i don't know random thought i just had like while saying it like do they call Mm -hmm. them convert anyway i don't know so she's like less than or about two years into her like journey with god okay for lack of a better word Mm -hmm. so um he meets her and they get married relatively quickly, as you do in these situations, because, you know, dating's bad. So, as one is <laughs> so want got, to do. You got to get yeah. married if you want to mm. have sex. So his career moves full steam ahead, creating a conference for singles called New Attitude, which I don't know if you remember. He's really mm. stuck on this phrase. Oh, yeah. Because that's the same name of that phrase freaking magazine that he had for homeschoolers Mm -hmm. when he was a teenager and that's when we were like oh he's doing that so it seems edgy yeah yeah so it's like he came up with like one phrase and he's like that is it over and over it's all about it's all about the new attitude yep branding so this conference ran from 1999 to 2011 just for context yeah it's a long time Mm -hmm. So he ended up writing several more books, such as Boy Meets Girl, Say Hello to Courtship, <laughs> which covers his relationship, you know, courtship with Shannon and getting married. Um, uh, I have not read this book. I maybe will at some point. Okay. Um, it could be something that I get into in the future. Mm-hmm. But I really wanted to keep this about, like, his career and like cover more ground with just like his life since the book. So mm-hmm. it's like keeping it moving. Maybe we'll address that in the future, but we're, we're going to keep it going. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like what? I was laughing because when you were listing off the names of books, 
it felt like Troy McClure from The Simpsons. Ready for another reference? Troy McClure was the actor celebrity, and the running joke was that he was always like shilling out books and tapes and all these things, and he always starts everything with, Hi, I'm Troy McClure, and you might remember me from such self-help films as Get Confident, Stupid. You know, like it's <laughs> yeah, like that. Yeah. That's how that yeah, feels. Basically. <laughs> so it's like I Kiss Dating Goodbye is what like really catapulted him, right? Correct. Like made his career. Right. But he did go on to write several more books. So there's The Boy Meets Girl, and then about – um. He went on to write, in 2003, he wrote, sex isn't the problem, lust is. <laughs> and there's at least three more, like, after that. But those are, those kind of early books were his more popular ones, but definitely, by far, I Kiss, kiss Dating Goodbye is, like, the banger of the bunch. Like, that's So he's trying him. to get on that, like, chicken soup for the soul uh, teens cats like you know they like they had every fucking thing you could like you remember they're, like that? skateboard i don't know i'm just like they're like you like skateboarding here's a chicken soup for you yeah like, and it's like chicken soup for the golfer's soul and that's what you got dad for christmas you yep. know yep and then you're supposed to read them and cry and you know it's just what you know you get that for your mom and it was like a it was know, an easy covered. gift yeah, for your mother chicken soup for the mother's soul covered yeah. mm-hmm God, what a weird era. It really fucking was. And I read them as a kid, too. Did you really? I really I did. never read oh, a chicken soup. Oh, I fucking read some soups. <laughs> Creamed. Oh, I read brothy. some soups. Oh, I did. <laughs> He's still laughing. That's <laughs> yeah, so uh, good. So, in 2004, at the age of 30, he takes over as lead pastor at Covenant Life, which is exactly what CJ kind of had in mind and had been, like, prepping him for, basically, Okay. for those last seven years. But it's as early as 2005, just eight years after the initial release of, I, I'm just going to say I kissed from now on to, to, make it, to make it a little faster. After the initial release of I Kiss, that we start to hear these kind of like tiny little snippets of Josh, like backpedaling, like or at the very least, kind of like readdressing some things that he wrote in I Kissed. Okay. Okay. So in November 2005, to his congregation, he had a sermon called Courtship Smortship. And I did listen to the entire thing on YouTube. Oh, my God. <laughs> That's um, the kind of hard w- journalistic work dude, that Whitney I does I have listened for this. to more sermons in the past eight months than I have in 16 fucking years. <laughs> it's wild. Like, I'm, like, doing dishes, I'm like, dishes, and I'm like, what am I doing? Like, this is what I do now? Like, this is what I do. But I listened to it. It was an hour long. I'm giving the most concise summary that could ever summary thank you for that i just want to say thank you for making it concise i'm making it very concise because i have a lot more to talk about but basically he speaks of courtship creating such pressure that people are afraid to have friendships go figure that's exactly what we fucking said um (laughs) and that it kind of like you're you're afraid to show basic care for another human being yeah and he ends up telling a story that I that I thought worth mentioning was so he's at the pastor at this church mm-hmm. and there was a like young male in his church who ended up walking a female to her car 
and was approached by a like a, another adult, like an older mm-hmm. adult in their congregation, came to him and was just like, you're like and kind of like railed on him for walking this girl to her car. So it was basically like. If unless you don't have intentions, why are you showing her that? It's just it's the whole thing that we talked about. Like you can't just have these basic fucking things. Yeah. So, um, he talks about how people become so focused on the whole guarding of the hearts, whether for themselves or the other person, mm-hmm. that they don't get to experience friendships, which we talked about in his book. He talked mm-hmm. about I don't even know how to be friends with girls. Like he addressed this. Yeah. Um, he says that God will lead you through feelings of attraction with friends. Even if it doesn't work out romantically and that disappointment may happen, but you shouldn't be like, you shouldn't be f- afraid to have friendships mm-hmm. out of the fear of disappointment, which is exactly what we said. We yeah. were like, instead of acknowledging that hurt or maybe just something not working out, right? being a part of life, his answer in that whole book was avoidance. Correct. So it was really funny for him to be like in this sermon backpedaling on that Mm -hmm. and he's like i don't he's like i want you to not be afraid i want you to have friendships i want Mm -hmm. you to learn from them i want you to not feel like every single interaction is an indication of courtship Mm -hmm. so it was really interesting to then listen to it on that end well it also makes me wonder if you know he got a name for himself through a very specific message and i think maybe through the time that has passed, people approached him or like, oh, I love the fact that you're this or that you say this. I wonder if he was just like, oh, maybe this is being kind of stretched into something that I really didn't mean. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Or it just went too far. Too, yeah. But then and- the money was coming in. So it's that hard thing of like, this has created the lifestyle with which I'm used to now, but I don't necessarily agree with what it used to be. I just think he got a slap in the face. Well, we'll, I, we'll just, I'll just keep going. So now we're going to fast forward 10 years to 2015. After 11 years as lead pastor at Covenant Life, Josh ends up resigning. So in part is due to the mishandling of a child sexual abuse case that was handled, quote, spiritually and internally. Rather than going to police. Surprise, surprise. This happens your, all the fucking time. Grab your crayons and color me surprised. Yeah, not fucking yeah. surprised at all. I even had a an old friend of mine recently talk to me about something I didn't know that happened mm-hmm. in my own you know, church and like whatever. Mm-hmm. Not uncommon, unfortunately. Like I hate to say it's not uncommon, but it's yeah. par for the course. It seems. We saw it with, with Josh. Yes. It's I Amy. Mean, like, this is this is Oh, we handled it internally. Yep. Yeah. And I just, I say this to go to show that this wasn't just in this, IBLP is looked at as a cult, correct? Correct. Mormon, you know, people still call them, some people call, I think people call all sorts of things cults or whatever. Mm-hmm. But on the outside, Mormonism is stri- mainstream. Even if you call it a cult, it's mainstream. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Happens within that. Like, yeah. so I just think it's any time that we can point out that it's like this shit isn't just happening in these things that you think are these small little sects of people. Correct. It's happening fucking everywhere. Yeah. But, anyways, moving on. So, regarding that sexual abuse case, it was dismissed due to the statute of limitations, which of course is bullshit. Mm hmm. But interestingly, 
during this whole experience. This led to Josh revealing in a sermon in 2013 that he too had been a victim of sexual abuse as a child. Oh my. And he encouraged others to come forward if they had had the same experience. Hmm. He, as far as I know, he's never gone into more detail. Okay. I will say that jumping forward a little bit, he does have a podcast now, but it is not seem to be real at all. It's not geared, about that. It's, and it's not geared towards church in any kind of way, actually, Correct. and at all anyway. Mm-hmm. So sometimes in your own personal stuff, you know, even if it's about something else, maybe something comes out. I don't know if any more details have come out, mm-hmm. but as far as like what I can tell, I don't think there's been more detail. Um, but I do think we have to note that he was kind of, he was part of the group of people who didn't go to the police. Mm-hmm. It was within his organization, you know, like the organization. Correct. It sounds like some of the abuse went back to the 80s and 90s, which may have been before him, but I'm not sure exactly when this particular thing took place. Okay. In discussing his leaving, you know, resigning as a pastor, he said, quote, The isolation of covenant life and of a small cluster of churches of which it was a part may have fed leadership mistakes, including the decision of pastors, myself among them, to handle a child sexual abuse case internally instead of going to police. So there's a small amount of like guilt (laughs) there too. Like there's, I was part of a, I was part of a system that did not handle this in the best way. Yeah. So I'm not going to spend any more time on this, but I just feel mm-hmm. like I had to at least address it because I feel like if I left it out and some people were like, but this happened, you know, Yeah. but um, I, it's kind of a bigger topic at hand, so I'm yeah. going to keep it moving, but mm-hmm. this was just to acknowledge it. It shows motive in the way that, in the decisions he makes. Yeah. Yeah. Also in his resignation, he stated that he had been living a quote, backwards life. And that he was moving to Vancouver, British Columbia to attend Regent College and study theology. Oh. Because if you think about it, at this point, he'd never gone to like seminary of any kind. <laughs> he was just like handed a pastorship at a right. mega church because he was like a poster boy for the evangelical. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and because of like who his father was, I'm saying, I'm thinking plays into it. Yeah. So it's like. Well, also he was the editor in chief of New Attitude. So I mean, I, I mean, that is a that hand is a him a get. church, hand him a mega, and move on. <laughs> there, that is a get. Yep. First round draft pick right there. <laughs> right. They're like, it's okay. You didn't have to go to college for more than three months. You you attended. Cool. You're in. You wrote New Attitude. Fantastic. <laughs> So, um, in 2016, in an interview, he expressed more feelings he was having about his famous book, saying, quote, It's like, well, crap, is the biggest thing I've ever done in my life this really huge mistake? Hmm. Yes, it is. <laughs> Might be. <laughs> he I said, actually have a, I have a, can I interject real quick? Yeah. You said you fast forwarded ten years. So how how long has passed between that book and now? It was it ten years or was it more than that? So he wrote the book in nineteen ninety seven. Okay. It's eight years later in two thousand five that he has that courtship smortship sermon. Okay. And then he's leaving he's resigning in twenty fifteen. 
Okay, so you're looking at 18 years. 18 years. years. So I feel like what's weird here is that, like, prodigies, whether it's in education or music or athletics or whatever it is, when they achieve a really high status very young and then they grow up, there's a lot of times where it's like, was that the peak of my life? Mm-hmm. And that's what this feels like. It feels like somebody who won an Olympic medal when they were 18 years old and now they're 31 and they're going, God damn it, I peaked at 18. <laughs> or just like kind of reevaluating everything, you know? Yeah. Like on a random side note, Whitney loves the Olympics. Oh, and I God, think, I'm a fucking fangirl. <laughs> and and I think I think ancillary, I'm, I'm kind of there with you. I br- I. I I bring you in. I like dragged is the term. No. Um but we saw that with Sean White. Sean White got very 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 high profile very young. And then when you see him now where he just competed in his last Olympics when he was in his 30s. And there's all these young kids that are like And I cried when he didn't make it. Yeah. It was sad, but was. he had such a refreshing attitude. Like, not the vast majority of people can't go out on top. Yeah. You know, so it's like he competed. He did well in one run. He didn't do well in his last run. But even in, like, the interviews after, he was like, I've had an amazing career. I've done so many cool things. It's opened up all these doors for me. And he was like, and I wouldn't trade it for anything. But I feel like you go into something young and you feel the need to keep going with it. But then oh, you're yeah. also at the same point going like, am I supposed to keep doing this? Like, yeah. it's you just kind it of this weird. Too. Yeah. I think there's just a lot of things you compare it to. If like, you get yeah. into it super young and you also hit it big, so to speak, yeah. you're like, I'm supposed to keep going. Right. Like yeah. it's kind of like the child actor thing. too. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. So Joshua Harris is 40 years old when he's resigning. Right. And then now he's moved to British Columbia with his wife and three children. Okay. And he is attending this college to study theology. Theology. Because mm-hmm. he's like, I've done this totally backwards. I've never even done this. He says that this switch took him from being a leader with the answers to a student with questions. Okay. Which I find an interesting and important thing to point out. Because he, he did completely skip over that student learning phase, you know, yeah. and I think is completely, you know, referenced in his own wording of a backwards life. Right. Um, he he was a child with a like with a platform base, essentially, you know. Mm-hmm. Yes, he was 21 when he wrote this book, but as a teen, he had this publication already and he was entirely enabled by to me. This is my opinion here. Mm-hmm. But I feel like he was in, enabled by adults in power, quote, you know, so to speak, mm-hmm. around him being his father, who was kind of like big in the Christian community because mm-hmm. of his homeschooling thing. And then also Randy Alcorn. Does okay. that does that name ring a bell for you? It sounds familiar, but I have no idea. Taking it back to episode two. Okay. Do you remember episode two when it was the book that I covered the, that Michelle and Jim Bob put as a reference in their their own book? Mm-hmm. Does the birth control pill cause abortions? Oh, yeah. That was by Randy Alcorn, and he's a major author just in the Christian realm, right? Mm. So Randy 
was friends with his dad. Okay. Their their families were friends. Okay. And in before I even read all of I kissed, I I read the back like acknowledgments and like thank yous first, mm-hmm. and I saw Josh thanking Randy Alcorn. And he does mention him briefly, like, in the book. But basically, Randy hooked him up with the publisher. Okay. So I just feel like these tiny little connections mean something. Mm-hmm. I mean, he may have gotten something because he was already this 21-year-old kid with a magazine. <laughs> right. But do you think that he would have gotten that magazine without his dad being big in the Christian community already? <laughs> and then he got a book because right. this established Christian author introduces him to his publisher? Correct. Like it's nepotism in Christian world. Correct. So I just I just kind of wanted to point that all out. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like there is a series of yeah, he was this 20-year-old, but there was how he got this is not the normal way that you a 21-year-old he 21-year-old would get this opportunity. Right. So anyways, we're back to 40-year-old him at school. So now as a student, he's meeting peers who have read his book. Some of whom are critics. Yeah, it's got to be weird. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because like you're going into this as a 40-year-old with like all these other people who are in oh, school yeah. for theology and like whatever. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, oh yeah, we know who you are. <laughs> and one of his biggest critics is a girl named Jessica. Jessica approaches Josh with the idea of doing a documentary for her thesis project. Mm -hmm. And he agrees to it. Filming began in August of 2017. Okay. So I did watch the the documentary in its entirety. And it's called I Survived, I Kissed Dating Goodbye. Ooh, interesting. Um, It hits on a lot more things like purity culture as a whole mm-hmm. and the big movement that it had in the 90s it's really interesting actually <laughs> like mm-hmm. i don't know like it it made me it doesn't it doesn't hit on a lot of things like in such depth that it made me go oh i want to research this now like mm-hmm. there's certain things that i'm like oh that's interesting so he ends up meeting with fellow authors and psychologists and um so it goes into a lot more um detail but for the sake of streamlining and keeping this kind of on track for this episode i'm mostly going to focus on the parts of the documentary that are specifically pertaining to josh and his book okay um although i will be discussing all the other topics at some point (laughs) future deep dives it's got to be weird too because um me and whitney like top chef and we just had a sorry I, i know this sounds random but it 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 pertains um we just watched season 18 of Top Chef that just got put onto Peacock. And it's weird to have contestants that are on Top Chef that grew up watching Top Chef. Yeah, right? Like, we made the joke that, like, in the early days, it was kind of like the land with no laws. And it was a weird mashup of, like, reality TV and competition show. And then, like, you you just see all these different phases. But they had nothing to base anything off of. Now they've studied it. And now they've gone back and studied and been like, you know, don't do risotto. Everybody fails on risotto. <laughs> yeah. Don't do, you know, yeah. I made the Tom joke. Tom hates this. So-and-so hates this. Correct. Like, you know, yeah. I made the joke that like in the past two or three seasons, 
every dish has a pickled garnish because every dish was like you need a little, little bit of acid. acid yeah yeah so that's got to be weird to go there and be like oh the environment i came from was people that read what i was doing and they were like on board now you're meeting people that read it outside of that sphere and now they're judging you based off of their own experiences yeah you know it's got to be weird and then now you're just like one of them like right yeah. Yeah. yeah you're not in like an esteemed position anymore now it's yep. we read it at as 40 if we years read, old <laughs> yeah. yeah it's like we read it as if we read anything else that's mm-hmm. out there published you know so now let's we're gonna get into the actual documentary right <laughs> so the documentary opens with a really cheesy fucking awful reenactment but it's not really the reenactment's fault it's the subject <clears throat> Of the opening scene in the book. Oh, do you remember that? The wedding with all the girlfriends coming forward. He says, "Well, what's left of me?" He was ready to write the promo for uh, Sister Wives. Yes. Yeah. So that horrible. I read you all of it in the last episode. So a reenactment. That's the opening scene to this documentary. And Josh Harris says that many readers have told him that that metaphor became like defining for them Mm -hmm. and he says that you know he kind of he chose this as part of this too because that same scene um for him is kind of defining but maybe it's more because he's haunted by the message of his book Mm. oh i have such a good metaphor do you want to say it now or do you want to wait i'll wait he says quote i was young zealous certain and restlessly ambitious and i thought i had the answers to solve the problems that Mm -hmm. i saw in romantic relationships Mm -hmm. and then he says 21 or whatever age he was and he says that he just didn't comprehend the challenges that it created for other people correct so a big catalyst to all of this was when a woman tweeted him saying quote your book was used as a weapon against me and he says that that like hit him really really hard And he ended up apologizing to her. Mm -hmm. His apology to her kind of blew up all over the place and ended up making the news. Oh, wow. He had people coming at him from both sides of everything. Mm -hmm. Those who still agreed with the book told him that he had nothing to apologize for. While others felt that his apology like wasn't enough. You're just not sorry. You're not sorry enough. Mm hmm. And he said he was left just kind of wondering how he's supposed to handle all of this. Mm-hmm. So his wife, Shannon, she's in the documentary briefly in the beginning. She says, you know, kind of stuff along the lines of, well, anytime a 20 year old professes being an expert, you kind of have to look at it. Right. But what I found really funny is when his wife says, quote, I think it was a good book. And a well-intentioned book, well, I don't think I can say it was a good book. Hmm. It was a well-intentioned book. And then they both laugh. Damn. Yeah, but I thought it was hilarious. So Josh says that he can't just dismiss his critics as haters. um, And that he has to listen to those that disagree with him. That's a pretty emotionally mature mature way of looking at it, yeah. 
So God, there's nothing worse than I hate that the person online haters. that says something stupid and then people call them out and they're like, you're all just haters. When meanwhile, they're saying something like completely problematic. Correct. Yeah. <laughs> so now he begins meeting with various people. Um, so in the beginning part of the documentary, he's doing like FaceTimes. Mm hmm. And um, he says that previously it was just like words on a screen and now he's having to meet with people face to face. You see little snippets of these various conversations and they kind of fall on both ends of the spectrum, but I will say for the most part, it's critics. Okay. I definitely feel like critics are always going to be the loudest. Like there's a, there was a study that was done like 25 years ago on like restaurant patrons and they were like, if they had a good experience and if they had a negative experience, the difference in chance that they will tell somebody else is like astronomical. If they have a good experience, there's like a 15% chance that they'll go to other people and be like, oh, we had a really good time. You should go check it out. But if they had a negative, they will tell so many more. Oh, like, it's so true. Exponentially more people about the shitty experience they had. So they're like, it's almost more important that you fix those or resolve those things in the moment because people that have negative things to say are going to be louder about it. Absolutely. Sidestepping for a second about when for my 27th birthday. Whoa, damn, that's six years ago. For my 27th <laughs> Ooh, birthday. Real life just hit hard. I know. For, for my 27th <laughs> birthday, I had a project that I called 27 Random Acts of Kindness that I did for my 27th birthday. In the month of my birthday, I did these random acts of kindness type thing and one of the things that i did was to leave positive reviews because i can legitimately say i don't leave bad reviews i just don't suggest it to people i don't feel the Mm -hmm. need to go out and like just like leave a negative review that's just not who i am i just won't suggest you to somebody else but i will you know but um i learned so much from doing that because that was something that i went out of my way to like do mm. and i went to every comp like every business that i've ever been in yeah. contact with and i like left and the things like one restaurant our, our favorite vietnamese place i remember like months down the road that like the daughter she was like my dad is the chef and oh my gosh this is like the best review like i can't even believe how mm. much this means to me my dad puts everything into his restaurant and i was mm. like oh my god yeah. but anyways so this is just a small thing to say that negative people will be louder yeah and but the positives mean so, i'm gonna fucking cry but the positives mean so much there it because, is folks <laughs> because like some of the like replies that i got i'm like damn these people don't get to hear a lot of pe- positive yeah. feedback all the time so it's like it means a fucking lot because the negatives are so loud and part of my um anxiety i was dealing with that i talked about last week mm-hmm. is that for whatever reason as humans the negatives are just so fucking loud so yeah. anyways getting back to the actual deep dive it's an it's important like and i think the lesson we learned there is like say good things if you have that experience say good if you things. have something good to say say it yeah yeah and i random side i feel like in my life i've tried very hard to do that in the moment like doing it like if i have a good guest experience and i'm somewhere um like i've tried really hard to like to that person make sure that they know that like this was good or thank you so much for blah 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 or because i feel like those things are important too like they'll never know and then a review comes out you know what i mean Mm -hmm. so i try also on the human level to be like hey thank you for making this experience a good one yeah yeah 
Anyways, kind of off track because it's a little different than um, book things or whatever. But so he's having these conversations with people, good and bad, regarding his book. And I'm just going to touch on a few things that were said. So some people took the things in his book as almost biblical truth. Oof, that's... One girl shared how her homeschool group that she was a part of took that opening scene with like the wedding and the families of that homeschool group kind of like got together and they turned it into this whole thing where they were teaching that if you have a crush, you're supposed to marry that first crush. Oh God, could you imagine? I'm thinking my first crush was like in, well, number one, my first crush was like animated Robin from Batman the animated series do i have to marry animated robin i bet you'd like to i mean dick grayson was a cutie I let's mean, be yeah. real but if we're talking real people is it tommy the green power ranger or do i have to marry the the kid in kindergarten the first person i met face to face anyways i don't know what those stipulations are but the first like the first one that i remember having was uh Christina Ricci playing Wednesday Adams. Oh, really? Oh, God. I thought she was cute as hell. That's funny. See, I remember being in kindergarten and we were putting the blocks away in the uh, in the little like container. In the and cubbies? like one okay. boy was like, I already thought he was kind of cute. I remember thinking that. And like the kids were like throwing them in. And then he and I were stacking them. And he was like, me and Whitney, we put our blocks away nicely. And I was like, yeah, we do. Damn. She was like, God damn it. We're so organized right now. And I was like, we are so (laughs) in sync. We both put our blocks away nicely. (laughs) So so I won't say his name just in case. But uh, I was like, damn, we're in it. Like, so is he the one I was supposed to? Anyways, he may have been the one. Maybe he was supposed to be on that you had microphone. To settle. Yeah. You had to settle for me because I don't organize my blocks. You know what? We've never put away blocks together, so Ooh, I, I can't true. be sure. That's true. That's true. Who's going to drive you home? That was in your head. Yep. Oh, God. Where am I? I got to find my place on the page. She got all distracted about blocks. Whew, he was a hottie in the, first, in the kindergarten. Not even the first grade. Kindergarten. Okay, so these families got together and they turned it into the first crush you're, your crush you're supposed to marry because they say that having multiple crushes was the equivalent to emotional STDs and oh, emotional Jesus. adultery and fornication. So I think the thing to take away from that is uh, Christina Ricci, if you're out there, give me a call. <laughs> he, he did it all wrong. <laughs> all wrong. You're looking at the wrong woman right now. Yeah. She made a good Wednesday when I was a kid, and now I feel like she would make a really good Morticia. Yeah, she would. We we are we celebrate all things Adam's family in this mm-hmm. household. Oh, yes, very. <laughs> so he ends up meeting in person. Remember how I talked about how that tweet from that girl like hit him hard? Right. He meets with her in person in the documentary. Oh, she says that at the time of reading the book, she was already living like pretty high standards. Like high standards were put onto her. Like she just felt like she was living pretty like godly, you know, like she felt like she was doing what she was supposed to be doing. Okay. But the book made her feel less than, which is exactly the exact verbiage that we said, I said last week where I was just like, Correct. all these things make people feel less than. Yep. And that like she wasn't doing enough, mm-hmm. which you and I talked about 
Um, it's just it, it feels like there's always a way to make you feel like you need to be doing more. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like it's like to me the the theme here. Yeah. There's always something that's something like oh you're not doing that yeah. like you know. <laughs> yeah. So she mentions that, like, not kissing until marriage, for example. And Josh says, quote, if anybody has a higher standard than you, then it's like they have this upper hand, right? Mm -hmm. Like they're more righteous. Which is really funny, though, because um, that's exactly how he came to adopt that standard for himself of the no kissing until marriage. Mm -hmm. I didn't actually cover it last episode. But, you know, he'd had, I talked about how he had that girlfriend mm-hmm. and I was like, and then he went off the fucking rails and he came up with all of this. Right. But in the book, he, he talks about like, I forget how he meets the couple or whatever, but like he meets this couple that's married and like being in the car with them. He talks about, it's so fucking corny. I'm like, come on, Josh and Anna, let go of each other. But he talks about like one of them being in the front seat and one of them being in the back and putting their hand back so they could hold hands with each other. Total fucking Josh and Anna at Abuelo situation. Oh, yeah. Like eating chips and salsa while still holding hands and ten and two people ten and two exactly he talks about like noticing that and then talking to them and then finding out that they didn't kiss until marriage mm-hmm. and like in the book he says like he kind of like gasps and is like you didn't kiss until marriage and they're like yeah and then he adopted that mm-hmm. so he had kissed girls but then he decided again that from then on he wasn't going to so he mm-hmm. didn't kiss kiss shannon until their wedding day. Mm-hmm. So it's just kind of funny that he fell into that same kind of thing. So the same thing that he put on his readers had been done to him. Yeah. He like he saw someone doing something, you know, ho- even more godly than him. And then you feel the need to meet that standard. Right. It's this fucking cycle mm-hmm. of trying to be like, oh, like one up each other in mm-hmm. like holiness. <laughs> yeah. You know? It's like wild. Yeah. So in a portion of the documentary where he's sort of evaluating what made him write the book in the first place, I know it's coming, mm-hmm. so I'm already laughing, um, or like what made him come to these ideals or standards, mm-hmm. he references going to a true love waits rally that he in- attended in D.C. in the 90s. And he, he, sa- he sees now that like how much that shaped him and his beliefs. Okay. So, (laughs) I really just mentioned, I mean, it's good to know, like, kind of the origins anyway of why he thinks he got there. Mm -hmm. But really, I mentioned this to give you a laugh, Tim. Oh, God. Because during this portion of the documentary, they're showing various clips from kind of this time in the 90s at these rallies and events for this, like, true love type thing. Okay. (laughs) True love waits thing. And we see a lady do a rap. Oh, my. You ready? (laughs) Obviously, this is going in visual. Like, a separate post will be of this rap of video. It's hip hop. It reminds me of that woman that's dancing. (laughs) And she does, like, the deep, like. Yeah, yeah, her legs are to the side. And she's she's like, like, it's hip hop. And that's hip hop. (laughs) We'll have to do both. I'll have to do both of them into one. Yes, you will. um, Real. I'll do that. (laughs) So, you ready for the rap, Tim? Oh, my God. True love waits, you gotta say, when you're feeling weak, you gotta pray, yo. That's it. That's it? (laughs) 
I was like ready. But I was still, ready for some like, fucking bars. I want you to see this lady who's doing it though. Like I was ready for you to spit bars was about not, righteousness. Was that not spitting? Was I just <laughs> no. like spit? You barely got like saliva in your mouth. There was no spitting. <laughs> I still thought it was it was it not entertaining? You did it really oh, okay. well. I will say that that's not an indictment on your on your showmanship. That True was... love waits. You gotta say when you're feeling weak. You gotta pray, yo. <laughs> and that's hip hop. <laughs> yeah. I need a blue windbreaker. And, yeah. and some. I can't black wait to put that bottom. together. That'll be a good one. You know what I keep thinking? Real quick, insert. Um, when you were talking about the, I saw this couple doing this thing, and I felt like I wasn't good enough so i had to change the way that i went that i made myself chuckle because i thought of ina garten how bad could that be (laughs) ina garten the thing with her was she would always do things where it was like you're gonna make your own like bone broth you know if you can't make your own bone storm broth store bought is fine store bought is fine but she's so like her voice makes it sound so condescending (laughs) that's what that's what that reminds me of it's like um, if you already kiss someone, not doing it from now on is fine. Uh, yes. <laughs> I need to be wearing black pants and a denim long sleeve shirt with the cuff and the collar um, with my brown, very shiny bob haircut. <laughs> I could be Ina Garten. Dude, I could, if I just cut my hair, I would be Ina Garten. I'm a little chubby. That would chubby. be such a good I've like... got all the clothes already in my closet. You're my Jeffrey. That would be such a Let good. Let me make you chicken with forty cloves of garlic. Right. That would be such a good Halloween costume. But then people might think you're Roseanne too, because there was an era of Roseanne. Dude. Roseanne. We she should be the... Roseanne and Dan for Halloween one year. Dude, we are Roseanne and Dan. <laughs> Dude, Tim and I say this all the time. I'm sorry. Side tangent. Whenever there's a there's a scene in Roseanne where he goes, because that's what they're like having a fight. And she's like, why do you have I think she says, like, why do you always make everything into a joke? And he's like, because that's what we do. That's how we are with each other. Like, yeah. you know, like, that's how we are. That's what makes us so great. Yeah, that's me. Tim and I are Dan and Roseanne. We roast each other on the daily, mm-hmm. but it's roasting with love. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry, one of my favorite John Goodman things is always when DJ's really little and Roseanne is at work. You know where exactly where I'm going. Roseanne's at work and Dan's supposed to like take care of dinner and like all these crazy things Ho. are going on and he's trying to get like Darlene to do her homework and and Becky's doing a project and he's like, "Oh crap, I forgot about dinner." So he goes to call for pizza and he he picks up the phone and he looks at DJ and he's like, what kind of toppings do you want in your pizza? Pineapple. I like it because it's yellow. <laughs> and he gives him like the are you kidding me look. And he just goes, this ain't a luau, Don Ho. I love Dan. I love Roseanne. That's such a good show. It's it's great. Yeah, it holds up to this day. <laughs> like blue collar. It's yeah. good shit. Anyways. I'm going to tell one story when we get to the end of the episode. Okay. Where are we at? God, we are <laughs> off track. We are off the rails. This, uh... Digging up the Duggars' nights is getting off the yeah, rails. Yeah, I know. I've had f- like five shots of tequila, if you can't <laughs> tell already. I And when I say shots, I didn't take them as shots. They're in drinks, but I'm like, about five in. Yeah. Okay, so um, we just got done with the, the wrap, okay? Mm-hmm. Yo. So 
Joshua Harris talks of how I feel like I have to say his full name because there's so many fucking Josh. There's Pest. Then there was Josh McDonald that we talked about. So many yeah. fucking Joshes. Yeah, we're silly with You're Josh's Josh over here. Me. Silly um, with Josh's. Yeah. So Josh talks of how some tell him that all of this is just not his fault. Nobody forced them to um, read the book or like take it right. as Bible. And that, you know, some people are just, like, choosing to treat this as a dating Bible, so to speak. Correct. So he's got these portion of people that are like, dude, this isn't your fault. Mm-hmm. To that, though, Josh says in the documentary that part of him agrees with this, but then another part of him doesn't. Because if people were given his book by, say, like a parent or a pastor, it's not that easy to go against it. He says that that would be dishonoring or going against your God-given authority. So it's just not that easy. Which I'm actually really glad that he acknowledges that. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, that takes a little... That, that takes, like, some real, like... He could have easily Intr- been like, yeah, it's not my fucking fault. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that he's yeah. like... People didn't have that choice. Yeah. And he took ownership for it, too. Like... Yeah. This was something I did... And even though I didn't tell them to take it to this level, like we're like it got spoon fed to them as that's correct as yeah. Bible, you know, mm-hmm. for, so to speak. And it's a little bit later in the documentary, but along the same lines. Later, he says um, he talks about like of not really having the freedom to disagree or the ability to question things. So, and that doing so makes it feel like you're rejecting God. Mm-hmm. He says, quote, I just tried to simplify things too much. And honestly, part of the reason the book was so popular is because people want that. Mm-hmm. And that well, I agree with. Well, it reaffirms what they already kind of are forming as an opinion. Well, I just think that that happens a lot with religion. It's like, I even think back to like Michelle. Remember when she made her big trans, you know, mm-hmm. like gave herself to God at 15, where it's like, what do I have to do to get to heaven? Just tell me what to do and I'll do it. Yeah. I think that people are kind of always just looking for it. Tell me what to do mm-hmm. and this is what I'll do. You're telling me that if I do this, I'll, I'll have this great fulfilling marriage and I'll have pleased God and blah, 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 Correct. blah. I think, that's, I think that's what people are looking for. So yeah. I agree with them in that. There's also a component of confirmation bias. Yeah. They've already had it in their head that this is the way that things are. So when they have something that's, like this where it's like this person wrote a book and it reaffirms everything that they already think like they're going into it and he's 21 and hot to them like you know yeah and then it becomes like wow he got it so early yeah you know yeah Yeah, he's got it all figured out Mm -hmm. he talks about wrestling with feeling like he was in the book like teaching things that the bible taught and stuff that he believes to be god's word which I'm just inserting my own thing right here, mm-hmm. which I'm assuming to be like chastity and like, you know, right. like shit like that. But he says where he feels like he went wrong was adding to God's word. And that's what was hurtful to people. Okay. He says, quote, it's not as simple as saying, hey, if everybody just tried harder and did things the way I did, then things would work out for them. Because you realize that other people be- have completely different experiences than you do. And you also realize that your way of doing things doesn't always work for yourself. 
And so there's a lot more compassion and I think a lot more openness. Which is a really, you said a mouthful there. Yeah. Like me and Whitney have this conversation all the time where we, the way that we do things is not the best way to do everything for everybody. Or, or not, not even like, best aside, just the way for everybody. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It worked out for us, but I can't go to somebody else and be like, hey, do things exactly like me. And if you don't do it, I'm going to judge you on it. We know people like that. Oh, yeah. Very we do. much so. We do. People who think that all of life is centered around, if you just made the right decisions, everything will work out when that's not the fucking case. Life yeah. comes at you, whether you made good, bad, whatever, and different, and where you had different circumstances. There's so many factors. Correct. And it's oversimplifying. Mm-hmm. So, in regards to a key criticism in the book, which, of course, was his outright opposition to dating, he read a book, and he ends up sitting down with the author of it, and he says, quote, Your book helped me to see that there's a place for healthy dating, and I think I Kissed didn't acknowledge that, which is a bit of an understatement because (laughs) I Kissed completely railed against it so kind of an understatement but he's acknowledging it Mm -hmm. so as we come to the close of the documentary he see he says that when he started this he was looking for like really simple answers Mm -hmm. was the book good or bad was it right or wrong but he realized along the way that life is not that simple and that there's mistakes that he made like, that's the mistake he made is, like, just to over, like... Simplify. Make, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said, quote, My thinking has changed since I wrote I Kissed Dating Goodbye. I think its premise is flawed. I don't agree with a lot of my own book. But whether you agree with me today or you agree with what I wrote 20 years ago, I hope that you will think for yourself. Um, He goes on to encourage conversations and to listen to people with different stories and that um, like different stories than you. Mm -hmm. And he says, quote, listening to other people has changed me. Hmm. I don't know why I'm getting emotional. Man, two cries in one episode. But I think what it is is because like this is like the ending part of the like the documentary where Mm -hmm. he's just like talking to the camera and like whatever. And without like crying or completely choking up to the point of being unable to talk other people could take it to you but i'm like i felt sincerity yeah because he was also having to reevaluate how many years of his life yeah yeah so other people might have other takeaways but like i watched it and i was like oh shit like yeah that's a lot to yeah process yeah when you and i feel like he's obviously thought of that before this documentary like i said we started seeing it early and then it was like but you are watching him reevaluate everything everything about his life yeah and it's like you really see it in the when you uh, by the way this documentary is on youtube in its entirety so Mm -hmm. you can watch it but like i do really feel like there's one particular conversation with one particular author where his mind seemed blown the entire time mm. where I saw, I was like, you can see him like seriously processing. like processing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's kind of like his final words with the documentary. Okay. Quote, you know, I used to be so afraid of getting something wrong, 
but I'm not afraid anymore. You can change your mind about things. You can make mistakes. There's honestly something so freeing about saying, I was wrong. Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. I don't know why it hits me so hard, but like so many people don't take accountability. Yeah. That I feel like it was interesting to watch someone be like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Maybe I took fucked up entirely you know so it's interesting and other people might take it differently but i took it as sincere yeah well there's a there's a level of humanity that exists in that and you know whitney and i've had this conversation about things with like me at work and i feel like i've tried really hard to not only cultivate an environment where people feel safe to say that they made a mistake or safe to say that I'm not a hundred percent sure of what I'm supposed to be doing right now. Um, and I try to put that out myself and the shorter version I'll give you is that we were, um, the management team at the hotel was asked a question and nobody responded to that email and it was because it was worded in a way that was very confusing. Nobody knew what the fuck was going on. I remember you getting that email where I'm like, what yep. does that even mean? Yeah. And it was because we had somebody new that asked that question up the chain. And none of us in the management team knew how to answer. Because we weren't aware. There was no context. It was done in a way where there was no examples given of what they were looking. They didn't clearly explain what success looks like when it comes to that question and nobody answered anything for like an hour and eventually i got on there and i i wrote back and i'm like i'm sorry i'm not sure what you're asking for what are you talking about (laughs) can you please give us an example of what you're talking about And the second that happened, we got a response that was like, oh, I'm looking for this and this and this and this. And then everybody answered. But it was like this group of of people were so afraid to be like, I don't know what the hell he's asking. And I feel like I've tried to present my life, both personal and professional, in a way where it's like, I'm not afraid of looking like I don't know what I'm doing. But I want to show you that if I don't know and then you give me the information, I'll fucking run with it. So it's just an acknowledgement of like, hey, I don't have it all together, but mm-hmm. here, but here's what I'm figuring out. Like, Correct. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Same idea. So I respect that. I respect the fact that it was like, even though I've had to do some really hard inward looking at myself, I can say that I was wrong and that, you know, that what I, the person I was in that time period is not the person I want to be moving forward. Yeah. It's very emotionally mature. And like I said, like he didn't cry and he didn't fully choke up to the point, but like he would look down at certain points. And I was like, Mm -hmm. I was like, that's. Ooh, he's reevaluating his life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the documentary ends up coming out in 2018. And about two weeks after it releases, he ended up writing an op-ed in USA Today. USA Today. Okay. Basically, he says that the ideas in his book are not were not just naive, but harmful. And that he feels differently now, especially being the father to, th- to three teenage children. Mm-hmm. It's also in this article that he announces that he asked his publisher to cease printing of the book. 
and they agreed to it. Huh. Um, if I remember correctly, I think they also ceased printing to the other two that I mentioned by name. Mm-hmm. He had other books, like, after that, but I think those, like, initial three were, like, the, like, you know, kind of like right. the, the heyday of stuff. I think that they stopped printing all three of them. Okay. So now we're going to move forward about eight months. On July 17th, 2019, he and Shannon announced that they are separating. Verbiage is separating, but it's divorce. Mm-hmm. Um, it has your typical things in this announcement, like staying friends and loving each other mm-hmm. <laughs> and like privacy and all that stuff. But all, it also said, quote, in recent years, significant changes have taken place in both of us. So the comment section of this Instagram post, like the comments are fucking despicable. Mm-hmm. Like to this day, like I cannot believe <laughs> like what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. It's they're calling him a disgrace saying, I sorry, I'm sorry you got your um, that you went from light to darkness and evil. Just like crazy so shit. Just like, how do you feel leaving the person God chose for you? <laughs> It's just like, it's nuts. You know, very Christ-like comments from these Christians. I'm putting in quotes right now. Okay, imagine uh, air quotes. You know, very Christ-like quotes from these Christians, okay? It's awful. But then, just nine days later, he makes another post on Instagram. And it's long. So Mm -hmm. I'm just going to pull some of the important parts from it. Okay. The information that was left out of our announcement is that I've undergone a massive shift in regard to my faith in Jesus. The popular phrase for this is deconstruction. The biblical phrase is falling away. Mm-hmm. By all measurements that I have for defining a Christian, I am not a Christian. Many people tell me that there is a different way to practice faith and I want to remain open to this, but I'm not there now. He also says, this is going to be a long one. <laughs> I have lived in repentance for the past several years, repenting of my self-righteousness, my fear-based approach to life, the teachings of my books, my views of women in the church, and my approach to parenting, to name a few. But I specifically want to add to this list now. To the LGBTQ plus community, I want to say that I am sorry for the views that I taught in my books and as a pastor regarding sexuality. I regret standing against marriage equality and not affirming you and your place in the church. And for any ways that my writing and speaking contributed to a culture of exclusion and bigotry, I hope you can forgive me. So if you thought the comments about his divorce was bad, oh God, <laughs> this pales in comparison to the backlash of the statement. If there's anything the online religious hate, it's <laughs> people having equality. <laughs> right. So in a, in a surprise to absolutely no one, Christians all over all over the world <laughs> are turning against him. Christian publications are writing articles with titles such as, the tragedy of Joshua Harris, the apostasy of Joshua Harris, <clears throat> and 
what's incredibly damaging to the gospel, Joshua Harris's, are your lies about it. So much drama. So, yeah, he's being roasted by, you know, this Christ-like community, right? Well, of course. That's I mean, what they're Christians. Christ would do. They're Christians, so of course they're Christ-like. Yeah. What else would they be? <laughs> and then about 10 days later, Josh posts pictures in his Instagram stories of him marching at the Vancouver Gay Pride Festival. Oh, my. Do you think how loud were the meltdown <laughs> Can you alarms? imagine... Can you just imagine how that was received? Yeah. <laughs> by the community. Yeah. At uh piety headquarters, do you think that the meltdown alarms were going <laughs> yeah. like real loud? <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um so four days later, after these pictures, he addresses it by posting on his grid of Instagram with a photo of him in his pride shirt holding a pastry. And the caption says, quote, this photo has caused a lot of speculation and I want to clear some things up. There has been a lot of inaccurate reporting and rumors. First, several media outlets have stated that I'm holding a multicolored cake. This is false. I'm holding a multicolored donut. (laughs) (laughs) And he goes on to say more, but like, I just appreciated the humor and that mm-hmm. and him just being like yep. it is a don't <laughs> and he's wearing his you know whatever his pride shirt so when you visit his instagram today his bio states quote i used to have all the answers chapters and verse now i'm happily uncertain unlearning and letting the story unfold which i felt was an appropriate way to wrap up his story mm-hmm Damn, it's wild. So the funny thing about that is, so now he has a podcast. It actually just started like a couple weeks before ours, mm-hmm. but it's about his new career and like marketing and stuff. Okay. <laughs> like it's not about, and he specifically had put out a thing like, I'm not doing interviews. Yeah. I'm figuring this out and it's not something that I'm going to like publicly be like, mm-hmm. I think he's kind of realizing like, hey, like while you're figuring shit out, don't go out there and try to be a fucking expert expert on it like Like, i think he's learned from that Mm -hmm. and so his things and i'm not saying that i've not listened to his podcast so i can't say Mm -hmm. maybe little blips because the same way we talk about a little bit of our personal life here yeah but for the most part it seems like he's kind of just been like i'm separating this is my new life i'm figuring Mm -hmm. shit out and what was funny is remember i told you about the divorce announcement there was a lot of comments like how do you feel about leaving the one god picked for you and your poor wife and blah 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 blah. so shannon she is also very much alluding to a change she specifically said i still believe in god but she's hashtagging stuff deconstructing ex-evangelical she's coming out with her own book oh she's like i'm not a victim here like this was something we went through yeah and so Mm -hmm. i feel like hers will be interesting because she was like I said, kind of like new into it and then married the fucking poster boy of the right. movement. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure that, the, so I think it was, I think people, people made this assumption that he just changed his mind and left his wife behind. Correct. But they both seem to have been leaving it the same, mm-hmm. in the same timing, at, at least from what you can tell, because she's also in the same place right now. Yeah. So 
I don't know. I think it'll be very interesting to read her side of things. Absolutely. And I think it goes back to what we were talking about with confirmation bias. Because they want to, the people that were making these comments want to believe that he changed for whatever reason and left his poor Christian wife and family behind. (laughs) And that means that his new choices or his new lifestyle are just so destructive. And look at the victims you have here. So I am kind of happy that she's being like, yo, I ain't a victim. Yeah, and she's like, like a she was a singer before, and like she's a songwriter, and she's mm-hmm. done all of that. And it's like she she seems like a very interesting person, honestly. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm very curious to watch her own story unfold. Yeah, and um, yeah, it's very. You've got their three kind of like adult children, and they seem involved. And right, I don't know. It's interesting. Damn. So, um, first of all, I just I find stories like this fascinating. Mm-hmm. especially when it's someone who like not only was like in it mm-hmm. but also like a pastor so remember when we talked about josh mcdonald we could kind of see his like like coming out of it yeah. and he had been a pastor now obviously this joshua harris is on another level he was a fucking poster boy mm-hmm. <laughs> so, yeah but it is interesting to watch people who were been like pastors or like these like sort of more elevated figures, figures in that yeah. community, yeah. Like leave entirely. It's very mm-hmm. interesting. And I think a lot of people might see Joshua Harris as like having left sudden, but when you kind of lay it all out and map it all out like we did today, mm-hmm. I think you can really see the gradual progression of it. Yeah. Starting in 2005, he started, all right, so don't be afraid to have friendships yeah. <laughs> you know here's mm-hmm. the thing about courtship that is a problem we need to relook at this he was already kind of separating himself from the message that got him notoriety yeah and it was like but still in a way that fit in at the time yeah and it's like you can totally tell that doing that documentary completely f- flipped him on his head of like holy mm. shit like <laughs> yeah this all because he was seeing real world consequences yeah and he had people that were coming to him with a real world attitude. And that's why and I liked when you said words on a screen that became face to face. Yeah. It's different. Yeah. Because it's really easy to have a shitty mindset about people when you know nothing about them. Yeah. And when you do have an, an a connection to them or you see the fact that, oh, this is like a real human being, it's a lot harder to be super shitty to them. Mm-hmm. Or just dismiss it. Or, like yeah. the people that hide behind a keyboard. Yeah. You know like on that note though as happy as i am for him to have come into a place of like peace and acceptance for like himself and like Mm -hmm. where he's at it has this really sort of like unfortunate effect which is kind of seemingly unavoidable at this point Mm -hmm. of just this him serving as yet another example of people that are deep into it on why like questioning and having your own thoughts are dangerous. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's the saddest part of all of this. Cause at the, at the end of the documentary, when he said that whether he agreed with 21 year old him or 41 year old him, mm-hmm. he just wanted you to think for yourself. That is exactly what they don't want. Oh yeah. 
Because now he became a bad example. Exactly. So he went from being the the chosen one that's sending this message to the young people. Yeah. Now all of a sudden he can, because now they can twist that into, well, when you let the devil into your heart, this is what happens. <laughs> well, it's you know? like he his story just gives them yet another reason to double down harder. Mm-hmm. Like if this guy, of all people, had this happen to him, like, who are you to think for yourself? Like, yeah. <laughs> what would happen to our kids if we let them think? Right. Like, it's just another example if for If these them. things happened to Josh Duggar, he was one of the strong ones. If this happened to Joshua Harris, yeah. what is going to happen to our kids? Like, yeah. you know. Um, and it's just like any story of someone falling away will be weaponized and used mm-hmm. as a reason to double down more. Yeah. Which is why Ginger's book is all about disentangling (laughs) as opposed to deconstructing. It's the idea of questioning, but not questioning everything. Correct. So the thing that's really funny about this. Are you in or are you out? That's how it feels. Well, what's funny about this is last week I did the deep dive on I Kissed Dating Goodbye because Mm -hmm. it fit in with like the date of Josh going you know with anna i mean and and amy who was dating right so it fit in and actually when i realized all the stuff i wanted covered was too much i'm like cool it's gonna be two parts Mm -hmm. and i instantly was like oh my god the timing of this is perfect because i knew ginger's book was coming out around this time right It, it was all happenstance coincidence but i was like oh my god it it literally is exactly what Ginger is referring to. Mm-hmm. So I had already written this into my notes. This is where it gets really, really funny. I was like, oh, just purposely goes along with it because even in like the promos for Ginger's book, she's specific to say her disentanglement from faith and fear, mm-hmm. not deconstruction. Correct. Deconstruction is leaving entirely. Yeah disentanglement was like getting rid of the bad stuff and keeping the good in her brain so to speak right right so that's her big platform she talks about friends like going to these conferences again after like later on and friends not showing up to them and finding out that they left entirely Mm. she didn't want to leave entirely and this is how like this was this is what she's living now right Mm -hmm. so i already had in my notes that i thought that Joshua Harris is the exact, like, you know, antithesis of that, right? Mm -hmm. This is exactly what they're kind of, like, warning against. Literally, when Tim and I were... So, um, for the record, I've gotten a lot of DMs, emails, like, questions asking me if I've read Ginger's book yet. Mm -hmm. I have not. And that is because up up to this point, I have opted to buy everything Duggar secondhand. Not to support. But I want to make it very clear. That is not a judgment on anybody who bought it. Mm-hmm. That is just something that up to this point I have done. She was trying to save the difference. And, yes. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I already told Tim, I'm like, I'm reserving my right to change my mind for something I feel is worth it. Mm-hmm. Um, I already told Tim, I'm like, if D- Dill? Uh, Dill. I just said Dill. <laughs> Derek Dillard, because I was saying Jill mm. and Derek all in one. Derek Dillard is so fucking messy that if he ever puts out a book, 
I'm fucking pre-ordering. I, I just know it. I'm, it's happening. So yeah. I'm like, I reserve the right. I'm not saying that this is something I may also, like, it's like yeah. a conviction, like the Duggars would say, that I'm going to stick to forever. Right. I'm just some kind of picking and choosing yeah. when I'm going to outwardly give them give them my money. I don't care if you did. Mm-hmm. Don't give a shit. Yep. So I have not listened or read to, or, you know, like, read it yet. But it was just funny because I literally already had it in my notes that I was like, oh, Joshua Harris is exactly kind of what she's warning against, that there is this option to disentangle instead of deconstruct. Mm -hmm. Tim and I were sitting down to record and um, Mara, a listener, sent me a message and she's like, I'm listening to Ginger's book right now. And she goes, what do you know? For first 15 minutes in, she talks about her feelings about joshua harris and i was mm-hmm. like no fucking way i'm like that's already in my notes i was already <laughs> comparing them yeah i had no idea she even mentions him in this book so it's just fun it's just, there's been weird parts in this podcast where things have just like lined up mm-hmm. so oddly yeah and she was like yeah so i was like can you just like tell me really quick kind of like what she says and she's just like basically that she's the, the opposite is all she's mm-hmm. getting at is like he left entirely and she's saying it's everything i already kind of wrote in my notes yeah. But she's just kind of confirming the fact that she's actually completely referencing him while we're doing this right now. I just think is it's crazy, <laughs> really kind of funny. Yeah, but it is because he. But it goes to make our point. Look what happened to him. Don't do that. Mm-hmm. That's the bad. You know, right. disentangle. If you have to do anything, disentangling is better than deconstructing, right? Of course. So yeah, I just thought that was all very coincidental so you can think but don't think too hard (laughs) and again this is is without reading her book but just in general i give her credit for the fact that doing this couldn't have been easy Mm -hmm. i mean it's a paycheck and i'm sure she's happy for the paycheck but Considering her family and her parents especially are still deep in deep in it, even though it sounds like in her book she all she does is credit them. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, what I said was, "Who brought her?" In? She talks about Bill Gothard specifically over and over and over. Mm-hmm. Who brought Bill Gothard into her life? Her fucking parents. Yeah. So it's like this roundabout way to try to sidestep implicating her parents, blaming your parents. Yeah, yeah. it's like it's a total dance around everything type thing, and then she um. I guess she just like praises them a couple times. So she's trying to keep things like, you know, like, oh, it's all fine. Even well, though you know, who, if... who inter- this guy you're railing against, who introduced that to your life? It's mm-hmm. it's stupid. Well, if Bill Gothard wasn't such a silver tongued salesman, I mean. Yeah, right. So, But it's kind of funny, though, because I feel like Ginger thinks that she's thinking for herself. But it's like she's still following the guidance. Mm hmm. And the biblical interpretation of just another man mm-hmm. that's not Bill Gothard, yeah. which the 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 head of her church we will talk about at a later date, way in the future. But um, so it's like while that switch has shaved off some of the things that make her feel more free, like f- feel free, you know, mm-hmm. becoming free indeed. She's still following the lead of another man who preaches his own interpretation of the Bible. Correct. So I just. It's also... You're trading one for the other. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so my other thought that I had while doing all of this research was sort of like the division of responsibility of all of this and in the effects that it had on people. 
I was really intrigued by like the part in the documentary where he said that some people tell him this isn't your fault. This mm-hmm. isn't your problem. That people took it as gospel and made it their Bible <laughs> for dating. But then his part in acknowledging that not everyone who consumed his book really had a choice in it. Mm-hmm. I found that to be like a really just like that part really pulled me in. Mm-hmm. So that just kind of led me to this place of wondering, like, where does the responsibility lie? lie? Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that we have to come to some sort of conclusion where people are like assigned a percentage, like you're 30% responsible and you're 15% yeah. responsible. I'm just kind of, I'm like going Tucker Carlson on this and being like, I'm just asking questions, you know, oh God, I'm please just, don't do that. <laughs> I'm just asking questions here. Um, but just kind of because it doesn't feel as cut and dry to me. Mm. So clearly Josh has a responsibility because he wrote the fucking book. Like, yeah, <laughs> obviously he has res- some responsibility here. Mm. But it's like, do we place responsibility on the adults who kind of enabled him and gave him a platform so so young? Mm-hmm. Talk about his dad. We talked about Randy Alcorn. You know, just like mm-hmm. these people who were really happy to probably let a young, good-looking kid spread a message that they approved of. That they agreed with, yeah. Yeah. Like, it just kind of made me think of, like, that whole side of things. And then, like, how much blame is on the parents and pastors who pushed it as a way to control their kids via a peer, mm-hmm. you know? Oh, but look at what he's saying. So yeah. even if it's him saying it, mm-hmm. if there's people that are really pushing it as the the standard Mm -hmm. where does the where does kind of the responsibility do you see what i'm saying does it make sense what i'm saying yeah and i also feel like you can see what you could see what the consumers of this book held as important and what was important wasn't the person that wrote this and the message they were trying to say what was important was that it was confirming was something that they already think of. Yeah. yeah. So you saw that obviously, you know, a handful of people don't equal the entire group, but you saw that because people that obviously consumed his message at some point when he changed his mind instantly attacked him. Oh, yeah. And you can see where that is. Like, they only liked you as far as you agreed with agreed them. Agreed with them. Yep, exactly. Not for the fact of you're a person that went through this relatively weird time of your life and had this weird thing that you did that was facilitated by people that were older than you. And it, there's no empathy there for anything. It literally became, now you don't agree with me, you're now you're trash. You're out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 you are. You're fucking trash bag. You're mm-hmm. an apostasy. Yep. You're in the darkness. Yep. You're, you know, all these yep. things. And I, I think back to when I told you about that girl whose homeschool group of parents. Yeah. Like, so... I feel terrible for that girl. (laughs) Like that's awful. But to me, that's an example of they were looking for something to use as a basis Mm -hmm. to, to gain more control over them. And I'm like, that's to me. I'm like, that's not on job. They took that and ran with it. Like his part was not, not great to begin with, Mm -hmm. but they took that and they leveled it up times Mm -hmm. like 10. Yeah. So I'm like, that's one of those things where 
And we only saw the snippet of her explaining that that's what happened to her. So I don't know how much she personally is blaming his book. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, that's, I'm like, I mean, how much blame lies in the place of the person who wrote it when someone takes it times, you know, right. times a million? I don't know. It just made me start thinking about all of these things. And, and I don't know. It's not something that there's an answer to. And I'm not saying that we should find one, but it just made me. It just made me think of it and it's just like it's just a thought I had of like where does this all lie because to me it it does feel different than say like a Bill Gothard for example where his responsibility if we're putting into percentage but like mm-hmm. his responsibility of harm on people to me is much higher than the responsibility of like a book who the book had to be kind of like I don't know does it feel different to you yes okay I'm glad though because I'm like in my head I'm like I don't know. Mm-hmm. Like you weren't trying to create a following, whereas Correct. Bill Gothard is actively trying to be like, listen to, and I have the way of everything, you know. Correct. He was working within an established system and created this document. It's like with Bill Gothard, the responsibility lies on him and then the parents who bring the people mm-hmm. into it. But it's like, this one gets a little bit more muddied because it's like, you didn't have to read the book, but then did you push this book? And then Correct. did you add on to the book? Like that homeschool, you know, there's all these like things. But then it's like, I, I totally understand all the people who were, like, the people who were affected by this book. Like, mm-hmm. I get their feelings by it. I get how later on they're just like, well, this fucked up my entire life or my mm-hmm. entire way I looked at relationships or how I related to the opposite sex as a teen because I didn't feel like I could. Mm-hmm. It's like, I totally, it's just complicated. Yeah. Well, to bring it a little bit closer to home, there's certain things about your childhood that you talk about that that was just always just kind of normal and then as you got older and you kind of unpack the way that you feel about things and like your global worldview on multiple subjects and then you look back at it through that lens of kind of your different perspective now that you're older and allegedly more wiser like looking back at certain things you're like Oh, yeah, that was kind of fucked up. Yeah. And like I feel like you realize so much you realize so much more hindsight. Yeah, and you've talked about telling people things about your childhood and they're like, "Oh my god, they're that's horrifying. awful." And I'm like, "Oh, that was just normal." Right. Like I feel like it's that where like <laughs> yeah. these people's lives were so affected by that, but when they were in the moment, they were like, "Nope, this par- is what we do." It was just what it was. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I feel like it's a lot easier for someone like me or you who was never affected by this book in any way, shape, form, mm-hmm. anything to be like, all right, he says it was harmful. He acknowledges that he apologizes and because there's no emotion to take that and move on. Mm-hmm. So it's like, I completely acknowledge that this is coming from a place of not being personally affected by it. And also think about the fact that when the people that have been affected by this, were affected at a very formative time of their lives. Oh, yeah, where it takes so far into things. It's like, no. The age you are, what you're learning about dealing with other people, hormones, kind of normal. Hormones. Hormones. You should have said hormones. That's what Cody uh, Brown says, hormones. I don't want anything to do with that (laughs) nickelback-haired asshole. Um, But, like, that's, like... It's such a formative time for them to be affected by this. Which is why I do appreciate that he said 
they didn't have a choice necessarily yeah to like not make this a thing correct so i felt like that's why i pointed that out because i was like hmm, that's a that's mm-hmm. a thing to point out you know yeah. um so yeah so it's like it's easy for me to kind of be like well he apologized because it wasn't something that affected me personally i don't have that experience correct and on that kind of same note for all those people who have have been affected by it and that are saying that you know his sorry now isn't enough it's kind of like too little too late to me that raises just like a whole other point how do you feel about that people saying that him apologizing and changing isn't enough yeah I feel like their case needs to be brought up with the people that brought this into their lives. What if I'm just I'm just I'm just devil's advocate here. Mm-hmm. What if it wasn't shoved down their throat by a parent or a church? What if they just found this book on their own? Then they need to take that up with themselves. Mm-hmm. Like that's some like self work that they that they have to do because they need to analyze. Not only why that book became spoke, such a thing to them, spoke to them at the time, mm-hmm. but also what's changed about their lives since, and then also being able to look back at who they were as a person at that time and forgive themselves. I just feel like it runs this line where you need to like you can equally acknowledge the harm it did, mm-hmm. but then also. I feel like if we're not ex- somewhat accepting to the acknowledgement and apologies of people and things like that, we are actively working against the change we want to see. Mm-hmm. You know? So it's like, to me, he could have just either stayed in it and always backed it. One mm-hmm. option. Number two, even if he disagreed with it, he could have faded into the oblivion and never fucking acknowledged it yeah and instead he opened himself up to getting fucking ripped by Mm. all the people like i told you though like he he's completely been (laughs) ripped apart by the people that are like first of it was like you have nothing to apologize for and then second it was like i can't believe we got fucking divorced and then it's like three you're an apostate you know he opened himself up to being when he could have just been like i don't personally agree with my message anymore but he could Mm -hmm. have faded into the background yep So I feel like if we don't somewhat acknowledge or accept or in some, you know, in some way, even while still recognizing that it did cause harm, that doesn't Mm -hmm. negate it, doesn't make it go away, Mm -hmm. doesn't mean it didn't have an effect on people, Mm -hmm. but we're working against the change we want to see. Because if we make it so hard for people to admit that they were wrong, that they were wrong. Who the fuck is ever going to say anything? Agree. Who is ever going to speak out again? And that's not just against people who wrote books or were a preacher. It's even people who lived within a certain belief system. Mm-hmm. And then later being like, you know what? I don't agree with that anymore. Yeah. All those things that we said about, I'm just saying LGBTQ again because of like him mentioning it. But mm-hmm. who's ever going to do that if they feel like there's no support on the other side? Mm-hmm. So it's like, I feel like we have to remain open to that acknowledgement and to those apologies with the caveat that, of course, you have to be, they have to be sincere. Mm-hmm. They have to show change, blah, 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 blah. I'm not saying that you need to blindly accept half-assed fucking apologies mm-hmm. <laughs> and right. see no change in people. But I feel like humans, you know, 
for the most part, I feel like we can sniff out sincerity, <laughs> sincerity, mm-hmm. you know, to, yeah. for the most part. So I feel like if someone's being sincere, it doesn't mean that everything that they did, said, believed, or the harm that they may have caused before goes away. Mm-hmm. But if we make it so fucking hard for them to ever fess up to that, why would they change? Yeah. And if we want less of that, we have to try to be like on the other end going, yeah, it's okay. It's safe here. Yeah. I also feel like that can exist in an environment where the people that are still in it don't agree with you. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that takes a lot of maturity to be able to go, I know you're not in this anymore. I know you don't agree with this and I know you've spoken out. I don't agree with it, but I respect your opinion. Mm-hmm. And I think that's hard. Yeah. I read an article that was talking about, and this is not a a political thing. This is more of like a psychological thing um, about when people have really entrenched beliefs, when somebody negates that or somebody that they used to agree with leaves it, that's that's taken as a personal attack, attack yes. to your beliefs which is why all these people are freaking the fuck out yep because, because he they was feel the like, poster boy mm-hmm. and then they're just like fuck you yeah. yeah so there's also that level of perspective and i don't feel like that's it doesn't have to be that way and it's it's not even like a we just agree to disagree thing it's literally a i respect how you've changed your opinion Exactly. And for me, on a lot of different issues or, you know, just different, even things in work, like all sorts of things. It's like if you have your opinion and you've never changed that opinion or you've never even evaluated the fact that like maybe parts of it are incorrect, what a sad life you're living. Yeah. You're living a life where you – at. 15 years ago you decided this was your opinion forever and forever yep i'm a different person than i was six years ago yep and tim and i've talked about this i'm very different a lot of my ideal you know like and a lot of the things i believe in has Mm -hmm. changed drastically in the last six years Mm -hmm. and so to decide that to think that at some point in your life you're just like nope this is it forever is fucking wild yeah (laughs) you know it's crazy and think about how sad that is to go through life and not be able to take in new information because this happens for me where it's like you came out and you said this thing you were like this was my opinion and then you got new information and you got lots of new information and you evaluated it and said hey upon taking in new information i am changing my opinion yes. and then people are like well why are you flip-flopping <laughs> yeah i'm not flip-flopping I took in new information and new evidence and changed my opinion. Exactly. I just think it's so crucial that we remain open-minded to people changing their stance or their mind, you know, or their belief system or whatever it may be, if we do want to see larger change. Because Mm -hmm. there are enough people that will never do the work to look inward, Mm -hmm. that will never do the work to even... consider anything else Mm -hmm. so i feel like if anybody is kind of making that Mm -hmm. effort i feel like it's important we facilitate that that. and nurture exactly and nurture is a good word and nurture that because 
who would want to if there's zero support on the other end? Mm-hmm. So I feel like while there's a lot of people, you can go on Duggar Snark and people are just like railing. You're like, fuck these assholes, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I agree in the sense that I don't believe what their beliefs. But if some if some of them were to come out on the other side, I would fucking support them. Mm-hmm. Now, like if Anna left Josh tomorrow, I'd be like, like you know, I'm like, does Anna realize how many people are rooting for her to like make the right decision, yeah. you know, or like whatever? Mm-hmm. But it's like we can't just completely cut off support because that doesn't do any good. Because we've seen through Joshua Harris, the people on in their court are gonna rip them apart. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get ripped apart by their own kind. Mm-hmm. We have to be there to support them. Yeah. So I think all of this is to say that again, reiterating, was not a victim, so to speak. Of Joshua Harris's book, but mm. I do respect him coming out later on and being like, stop. he could have not asked for it to stop being published. Mm-hmm. And he came out, he set himself up to be ripped apart as he was by all these Christ like people. Mm-hmm. And he had the book stop being sold and he completely made a change his life. He's in a new career, he's doing yeah. all these different like things. He reevaluated things. And to me, that's commendable even with his past hurts that he's caused and like Mm -hmm. things it's still to me not easy to do i also feel like them people from that community that did treat him that way reiterate why him separating himself from that was important yeah because those were the people that were your your biggest fan and if they can't look past that into not being abusive when you decide to say I've changed my mind that is a sign of like well you made the right decision yeah to not be associated with these people anymore yep you know mm-hmm. because for a while there that was his support system those were people that believed the same thing he believed that was his community and the second that he was like I don't think this is right for me I'm out they turned on him well, yeah, obviously you weren't. You obviously you weren't a very good community to start with. Yep, it's you know? only it's only community as long as you completely are in complete line with everything they want you. You know they believe in or you're exactly, my guy until you're yeah. not. Yep, mm-hmm. it's a, a fascinating story. Like I say, story because for lack of a better word, but mm-hmm. it, it's. Do you see why I was like, oh, I'll do the other episode to get to yeah. this because it's 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 fascinating. Yeah. I just random side it related to one of the companies that I worked for and the thing about them was that when you were there doing things for them you were their person and you oh, were part I know of the who, family I know who you're talking to. <laughs> and the second that you decided to leave you were fucking dead to them yeah. like and it, and it wasn't even like the people that got fired or the people that left on bad terms there was people that left that company on good terms that were like oh my gosh i got this really good opportunity i think i want to go and all of a sudden they were fucking dead to like the management team and it's like why how can you be so shitty like Two seconds ago, this was like your right-hand person. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And then now all of a sudden, they're not loyal and they're treacherous and they're all these things. It's like, no, you should be not saying you have to jump for joy and the fact that you have to refill their position. Yeah. But you should at least be happy that they're doing something that is 
better for them yeah. or in a good trajectory for them or you know what I mean in that second Instagram post from Josh where he after his divorce the one where he was saying that he was like leaving I, by all accounts I'm not a Christian anymore mm. um he's I can't remember the exact wording of course because I didn't write it down I'm just recalling it now but he was saying that like I learned that like support something along the lines shows no like like he got support from atheist Christians, blah 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 blah, and like you know, like I'm so, and I'm like, I did not see a fucking, <laughs> I'm like, I didn't see a whole lot of Christian support in your comments. Hopefully, maybe your emails or DMs were different because right. I'm like, that's like not privately. what I saw in the comments. But <laughs> I just thought that was really ironic. But so or he going talked- back to what we said about having to look somebody in the eyes, it was probably people that were actually close to him. Yeah, that had to look at him and go. I understand what you're going through. I don't agree with it, but I respect the fact that you, you know, you're making these decisions for yourself. It's all those people that are not that, that aren't close, that don't have to look him in the face. It's real easy to call somebody a fucking scumbag. Fucking evil. Yeah. <laughs> the the over the overuse of the word evil just like kills me. <laughs> I can't fucking stand it. Yeah. Evil. Yeah. Because I can I can say something's evil and and scare all the other people that are around me there's one per- particular person come like ish in our circle that overuses the worst evil oh, and yeah. i'm like it makes me fucking cringe every time i'm like I-, I roll my not even cringe roll my eyes i'm like you're so stupid yeah. everything's evil yeah. if it's everything not exactly... they don't agree with is evil yes mm. i'm like oh god <laughs> can't fucking handle it yeah. anyways i think that's done for my thoughts do you have any other thoughts Oof. No, that one was a lot. I think it was interesting. I think we got into a lot of human human experience points. Um, I feel like we talked a lot of about things that everybody deals with in their lives. So I hope that you move on. And if we want to see change, we have to be supportive of people making the ch- change and not whether you agree tie with it or them not. to everything from the past if they're actually showing actual signs of change <laughs> yep you don't have to agree with everything yeah not everybody has to agree with you yep can i end it on a high note that has to do with roseanne absolutely we love right. a good uh We've, this has been kind of a heavy episode lanford so, um the one of our favorite roseanne moments is uh, am i i'm I'm guessing in my mind what I think you're. You, think you know, I know exactly it? Do I know what it, it is. You know exactly what it is. Um, so Roseanne and Jackie's dad passes away. <laughs> I had two things in mind, and it was one of them was this. So they're making the awful, awful, um, or they're having to do that awful step where you call family and tell them that you're. You know, nope, that this is before was. you could announce it on Facebook days, of course. Correct. Um, so. They're going through their phone book and calling all the different family members that they have and saying that their dad passed away. So Jackie. Jackie's so neurotic and crazy and I love her. Yep. So Jackie, I'm going to let you do the actual part of it, but I'm going to give you the lead in. I'll I'll set you up here, honey. I I need to pull away from the microphone so I get loud. (laughs) Yep. So Jackie's like, all right, who's next? And Dan and Roseanne are sitting at the kitchen table and they're like, oh, it's aunt whatever. And she goes, okay. So she dials the number and she has the phone next to her. And then she <laughs> hears, obviously, her aunt pick up. And she goes, I'm sorry to inform you, but dad has passed away. He passed away. Passed away. 
dead. He's dead. <laughs> and then she's like, and then she goes, never mind. Or like, what does she say? He sends his love. Yeah. The best part is her yelling because she yells, dad. 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 She keeps going. She goes back and forth between dad and dad. And then, and then she, you see her finally go, screw and then it. she goes, he's fine. He sends his love. Yeah. And then she slams down the phone. She's like, don't make me do that again. <laughs> oh, he's fine. He's he sends his love. <laughs> Uh, he passed away. He passed away. Passed away. <laughs> He's gone. <laughs> dead. <laughs> He's dead. We should post that clip. I will. Oh, that's that so good. and the um Dan and Roseanne with like this is what we do. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. Yep. Ooh man, this was a doozy. Yep. Well, we hope you enjoyed our exploration of more things, Josh. So many Joshes. We are you're Josh- silly. You're Josh and me. We are silly with Joshes over here. So many Joshes. So as always, um, follow us for some fun visual related shenanigans on Instagram at digging up the Duggars Pod. Email us at digging up the Duggars at Gmail. Mm-hmm. You can buy us a pickle. Buymeacoffee.com slash digging up the Doug. Digging up the Doug. And, and if this you... Sunday, if you're watching the Super Bowl, give us a wave here in Glendale, sunny Glendale, Arizona. Live from sunny Glendale, Arizona. <laughs> I'm sure um, it'll show cactus and like shit. Oh, like there's yeah. cactus everywhere around here, even yep. though that's not how it is. Oh, they already filmed that B roll yeah. of, of that. They went into Foothills. Yep. And they're like, and they're like, this mm-hmm. is exactly what it looks like right outside the stadium. Yep. Yeah. I always make that joke that when people think of Arizona, they just think of adobe houses, cactus, and tumbleweed. Uh, women in denim vests with turquoise jewelry. And a tumbleweed. And a tumbleweed. Yep. So, and also, if you'd like to send us some snail mail, uh, Mildred is waiting at P.O. Box 5973, Glendale, Arizona 85312. All right, guys. Took a lot of time this week, but uh, got some stuff. We we dug in. We did dig in. And uh, if you remember from last week, I hope you all have nice bars. And please, don't be a worthless box. 